Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, your host for the show today and the CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media. We produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my friends and colleagues at CIO.com and our CIO Executive Council. We're streaming right now over LinkedIn and Twitter, and we welcome all of our viewers to take part in the conversation today and send in any questions of your own that you have for my guest. We'll be watching for those questions and doing our best to respond during the show. My guest today, and I'm so pleased to have him here with us, is Steve Heindel. He is the Executive Vice President and CIO of Holman Enterprises. He is an IT leader with more than 25 years of executive experience in the automotive, financial, consulting, and technology services industries. As the CIO at Holman, Steve is responsible for designing and executing the IT strategy that supports six different operating companies, which together employ more than 6,000 people. And he's doing all this with an IT organization of around 400. Holman Enterprises is a family-owned global automotive services organization that's headquartered in New Jersey. It has six business operations that support diverse sectors of the auto industry, and that includes auto financing, insurance services, and fleet leasing. And one of its big units is Holman Automotive, which is one of the largest privately owned dealership groups in the country. Before he joined Holman 12 years ago, Steve was the Chief Technology Officer for Commerce Bank in New Jersey. And he's also, as you'll hear during our conversation, a great believer in lifelong learning and mentoring technology talent. He currently serves as an adjunct professor of C-suite business analytics at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. And one of the many things we'll be talking about is how he personifies a feeling at Holman that it is a learning culture. All right, so Steve, thank you so much for joining us here today. How are you doing? I'm good, Mary Fran. Did you watch any uh, good good episodes of television last night? <laughs> Actually, I was getting ready for our conversation today. So I was just being a good little worker bee. Let's the stage a bit today with a quick rundown from you on those six different operating companies and how IT is organized to support all of them. I, I think of it almost in a sort of matrix kind of way with IT at the center, helping everything to run smoothly. So tell us how, how you do that. Awesome. All right. So let's start with the, really the organization that founded Holman Enterprises back in 1924. So we're we're 96 years old on, on our way to 100. Uh, third generation family ownership, working on preparing for the fourth. Mm -hmm. So this, the sector, the, the first industry is the automotive retailing and started from one dealership here in Maple Shade, New Jersey, not mm -hmm. far from our headquarters, which has turned into a 6,000 employee multinational company. Wow. And the retail industry uh, is primarily served from an IT standpoint through systems and platforms that you purchase, you buy commercial off the shelf. So the size of the IT organization is more around doing support and integration. Although I will talk about one of the areas that we have home and strategic ventures later on, where we're actually looking to build some, some of that techno technology within the retail space. But from the automotive retail standpoint, 
uh, of the 400 people that we talked about there, there's about 35, 40 people. And their job is to really support all those applications, make sure they're up and running. It's a seven by 24 type of situation. Yeah. So let me transition into, you described automotive fleet. Um, that's on the different end of the spectrum. That's where the majority of the technology individuals are within our organization. And that's much more of a build versus a buy. Mm -hmm. so the majority of the applications that we have are bespoke, they're customized for the industry. They're specific in many ways to some of the, the customers that we support. So we take the approach of standardizing where we can, but also specializing. Because in the automotive fleet industry, we support pretty much every Fortune uh, 1000 type of company and fleets of all different sizes. Fleets from a handful of vehicle all the way up to some of the largest fleets in the world that are multinational in nature. So as you can imagine, there's things that we can do across the board that make sense, but then we have to do things that are more specialized for that industry. So for, we, we support um, the majority of the railroads in, in the United States. So just supporting the rails are a little bit different than supporting the energy sector versus a pharma. Yeah. So similar products and services, but maybe some differentiation. And that's where the development staff really comes in. Uh, from an IT standpoint, we have this team called Customer Information Systems. They do both pre and post sales support. So they're actually out there with our sales individuals, account management, and think of them as a combination of developers, BAs, solutions architects, and they're sitting there understanding, and then that's where they do the customization. Mm -hmm. so those are the kind of two bookends of, of the organization. There's another one called auto, the Auto Truck Group. And they, they're very much aligned to uh, ARI from a fleet management standpoint. Mm -hmm. They build a lot of the trucks and the vehicles that are specialized for the, the different industries that ran. Yeah. So there's engineering that's done in there. There's manufacturing, there's fabrication. So as you described earlier, we're in the automotive sector, but each one's a little bit different. One's a B2B, one's maybe a B2C, one's a B2B2C. Yeah. Um, we also do, as you mentioned, insurance. So we're, we're an insurance broker. And then we also do some specialized insurance within the commercial side of the, our business. So that's even a little different as well. Yeah. And then parts distribution. So it's a variety of different things and requires just different types of solutions and approaches within the IT organization. Right. Well, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about um, the uh, best of breed as one of the platforms. And I can see how in a company like Holman, you would really need to apply something like that because it's not... Uh, it's never going to be a massive homogeneous business because you have so many different businesses. Yeah, and, and there's also geographical implications. Being a multinational, going back to the fleet management side of the business, uh, obviously we're in the U.S., we're in Canada, we're in Mexico, we're in, in European nations as well. So each one of those have their own nuances and challenges, and then we do a lot of partnerships. So as you can imagine... Yes, best of breed has, has served us well and, and, has, and has been the right approach I think we've taken. Yeah, well now I would imagine that most of, the, um, most of the guests I've had on here, especially in the last several months, we always get around to talking about the business impact of this very long drawn out pandemic that, that everyone is still dealing with and probably will be dealing with for the next year. 
I would imagine you've probably got a very multi multifaceted impact on your different businesses. When uh, What has been changing for you most as a CIO? Is there anything that has shifted up your priority list because of the pandemic? And how are you dealing with all that? Yeah, I think for us and for everybody else, it was just making sure we can operate in a safe way. If you look at our 6,000 team members, it's, it's very much a hybrid environment. So in the retail side of our business, as much as everybody says, hey, we're going to be able to sell everything online, that's just not the case. And that's not how people even want to do it in, in the course of a pandemic. I mean, if you think about it, a vehicle it, behind the purchase of your house, it's, it's one of the biggest investments you're going to make. So there are some people that, without a doubt, that are willing to do the whole entire transaction online. And I think that forced the industry, anybody that was lagging behind to, to jumpstart that. So that certainly happened within our organization. But figuring out how to work in this hybrid environment where you have individuals that have to go to the office every day, work from home, and we're split. We're about 50-50 because the auto truck group, they do a lot of manufacturing, so they have to be there. They're, they're, they're bending metal. They're doing engineering. They have to be physically attached to the vehicles. Right. Similar in, in the retail business, we do a ton of maintenance in those retail shops. So we have 35 brick and mortar retail dealerships throughout the United States that require people to be there. Mm -hmm. Conversely, we have a large workforce that works from, can work from anywhere. And our call center, for example, uh, a little over 350 people worldwide, we were able to get them working all remotely. Mm -hmm. So this is definitely impacting the way that we're going to, and I'm sure everybody else, how we're going to work in the future. Where does it make sense? And then it has implications on business continuity, business recovery, what you're doing with leases, mm -hmm. uh, buildings, you name it. So all these things have come into play and it's part of our planning in the next several years. Right. So if, if you had to pick one thing that is now a higher priority for you as a CIO, um, I'm, I'm guessing it might be the people and the productivity angles, but you tell me. I think everything's a priority. Uh, th that's the interesting thing with our business. Mm -hmm. A term I like to use is stratactional, be strategic, tactical, and operational. So we always have to have an eye for the future as a CIO, right? We have to think about the next three, six, nine months from a tactical standpoint, yeah. do the blocking and tackling each and every day. So they're all priorities and aligning our organization to support each and every one. But obviously when, when the crisis truly hit and everybody started to uh, getting working remotely it was all about safety and safety still a primary concern that's a big part of my job is making sure yeah. we can support our team members that can operate safely as well as our customers well and i know you and you and i talked about that before and i i just have to weigh in and say that as an editor trying to combine the word of strategic tactical and operational in one term i'm gonna have to veto that <laughs> nobody will be 10 times Nobody would be able to pronounce it. But, you know, it actually reminds me of the three-legged stool that we talked about, that the way you look at your IT organization is also operations development and product management. And so you have essentially a kind of a centralized or a federated model? Yeah, it's, it's definitely federated um, within the organization. So IT is centralized and, and we have competencies without our organization. Yeah. But it's federated from the standpoint you described those different businesses they're, they're aligned. So we'll have a development manager that's aligned to, let's just say, retail or a development manager that's aligned to 
within ARI, and then there's segments within ARI. There could be what we do with fleet, what we do with customer-facing technologies, what we're doing with the um, ordering of vehicles and the support of vehicles. And then we met very much aligned with the individuals in operations and product management. So getting back to our strategical term, we like to take a, a good six-month look back and then a six-month to a more forward look ahead. And we have our metrics that are assigned to that view. And as I said to you, we look at everything from how are we gonna generate revenue and move the needle? What can we do from an efficiency standpoint? An employee and customer engagement and things that we have to do for the societal benefit, that's that's all viewed as well. And then obviously risk and compliance. So we, we are an industry that is heavily regulated and depending upon which industry that we're supporting, we have to adhere and support their regulations as well. So we like to cast a nice net to understand all the different business aspects. Yeah. And then we as a team collectively know what our priorities are, which are great because that helps and we can measure each other on it. And what's, what's good there and, and what I really like to emphasize and stress, Holman being an organization that's been around for 90 plus years, we have a lot of um, loyalty and longevity within the organization. And that really comes up in spades because it takes time to, to get to know these businesses. Yes. So if you look at Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, doing something for 10,000 hours, it's the combination of those three disciplines working together. It's, 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 I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's hard to find a unicorn that really knows the operations, yes. where the products are, where we're going in industry, and how to leverage the technology. So that's what's great. We have, we have teams that have worked together for a long time. And what's great about these teams and, and it's our culture. And there's a book I'll reference later where good ideas come from. And there's a term in there called liquid networks, but these teams are constantly interacting with other teams. So they're sharing ideas, thoughts, opinions, huh. and there might be an initiative that goes across function and these teams do a good job of interacting and yeah. sharing where, where these cross-functional challenges are. One of the things I mentioned when I was introducing you, I um, was talking about how much you enjoy Holman because it has such a learning culture. And I'm always very interested in the cultural aspects of organizations. I mean, that's where the people all live. That's what it impacts how well you can do in attracting the technology talent you need. And so when you say that Holman Enterprises is a learning culture, give me some examples of what do you mean by that? I mean, is that is that more than marketing speak, I guess? Yeah, I it's more than marketing speak. Definitely, there's budget associated with it. Ah, it's, okay. Yeah, there's an organization which is phenomenal, 100% mm -hmm. uh, tuition reimbursement, and people ah. take, it, take advantage of it. Uh, Creativity is an idea. There's things like we've done in the past, uh, a, a shark tank where everybody participates and think about different ways to bring your ideas and thoughts to the table. Mm -hmm. um, just the investments, the fact that, and we'll talk a little bit more about home and strategic ventures, but having, having individuals set aside to challenge the status quo. And I think that's the biggest thing about the learning culture. It's, it's never resting. And knowing that your trajectory is not just today, we talk about you know, our strategies and just for the next five years, it's for the next generation and 50 years. So mm -hmm. in order to do that, you need to be relevant and never rest on your laurels. So part mm -hmm. of our learning is um, nice creative conflict where we where professionally challenge each other and try to learn from each other. We're, yeah. we're, we're, we're a big fail fast forward uh, organization and 
you just take the opportunity. And the good news is you make a mistake, you learn and, and you move on from it. So yeah, it's, 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 it's not a marketing term. It's, it's just, it's how we work. Well, and I know it's very real life for you as well, because in addition to being an adjunct professor at St. Joseph's, you're also working on your own doctoral degree. Uh, talk about that, because that connects us into the the transportation grid and telematics and connected cars. Uh, tell me more about what you're doing in that realm. Yeah, so the, the field of study, and it's very much aligned to our organization, is... Um, what I'm calling the network-centric transportation grid. And for it's just a nice academic way of saying uh, that the term that's out there is uh, ACES. It's uh, autonomous, connected, electric, shared. It's just another way of saying that. But think of the business that we're in. Our business is centered around the internal combustion machine that's operated by a human being. In the future, if this actually goes the way it could, we have a, could have a different propulsion technology so going from gas power to electric. Yeah. And instead of being operated by a human being, it could be operated by uh, something other than a human being or a combination. So it could be all developed program behind the scenes. And part of our challenge as an organization is we wanna be relevant for future generations to come. So that, that gets back to the strategical side. You ask me, yeah, it's part of my job too and all of our jobs in leadership is how are we gonna be relevant for the future, but also trying to understand what the future might bring. Mm -hmm. You look at California, California um, and pay attention there because they're usually the state mm -hmm. that sets the precedence or they're willing to make those leaps. Mm -hmm. But 2035 governor, they're projecting no more internal combustion machines to be sold. Part of this study is to see what's realistic. There's lots of, I think, good aspirational proclamations that, that people want and, and you do need to aspire, but there's also some of the realistic and practicality side of it. Yeah. C can you generate enough energy? Um, the algorithms that get created, uh, who's going to regulate them? Who's, who's going who's gonna to handle the ethics behind these types of things? Mm -hmm. Can you truly secure them? What do you do if you do have a network outage? We, we, we live in the critical infrastructure. Big part of what Holman does, and this was part of the pandemic, was keeping the critical infrastructure going. So all these things come into play because we wanna be in a great position. If and when that happens, we're ready to make that tradition or certainly transition or, or help, or help uh, organizations make those transition if and when that technology changes. Okay, good. And uh, since you, you brought it up and I think we ought to touch on um, a bit of an overview on your approach to cybersecurity. And I know that that's always a, it's a, a fraught topic with a lot of CIOs because there's so much involved in it. And I don't want to definitely don't want to try to drag us into the weeds on it. But I wonder when we think about that network grid and also, you know, the fact that you've got a development organization and now so many people are working from home and so forth. So do what you can to kind of describe how you approach cybersecurity. And if anything has changed dramatically with the onset of this working from home and the pandemic realities, then get into that too. Yeah, just cybersecurity in general, I think you need to be very humble. Um, never take anything for granted. This is Good advice. It's and continuous, I would say continuous uh, awareness and, tr and training throughout yeah. the organization. So mm -hmm. we'll go back to this, this learning culture myself and another individual, we went back 
uh, we just finished it up, but we did a, a master's in cybersecurity at a local university here. Yeah. And everybody on the team, on, on, our, on our security team, has achieved either an undergrad or advanced degree, mm-hmm. or CISPs. So this is, it's just important to stay relevant, to stay current. And that's to be humble and, and the continuous awareness and training. And it's not just obviously within the IT organization, it's throughout the company. So it's really important. I was mentioned to you at a different time, Mary Fran, is uh, some of the studies on innovation and how companies that get impacted with their creativity and innovation, yeah, if and when a cyber attack happens, because it makes sense. The company now is going to pivot. They're going to do everything they can to shore things up, and that can really impact you going forward. So cyber is really important to have a good balance. That's why when we talked about that three-legged stool and yeah. looking at product management, Risk and compliance should always be part of the conversation. I'm not saying dominate it, but certainly be part of it so it's understood. We have a saying here, get stuff done. I'll, I'll use the uh, stuff instead of the other word, but I like to put the in there as well. Get quality stuff done when we want to roll it out. And a big part of that is, is security. Um, I think all of our challenges front and center is things around r- ransomware. And it's one thing, getting the ransom where you actually have to pay it. The, the big issue though is if it's on one computer, that's bad. Imagine it if it's on every computer in your environment, not only on your primary, but on your backups. Mm-hmm. So this has happened to companies and this is probably the number one cause now for disasters and business recovery. So mm-hmm. cyber is much more than just a buzzword. It's, it's really important to do business and it's critical that it's part of every roadmap and there's ample dollars and appreciation and just be humble and, and do the basics. Yeah. Patch, 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 mm-hmm. patch. Follow all the basics. We won't get into all the weeds, but there's best practices that really everybody should follow and it should be part of every risk committee. If there's a risk committee, make sure you got good audit oversight and making sure those things are getting done. Yeah. Well, you'd mentioned when we talked earlier that at the board level for Holman Enterprises, uh, you have a technology committee. Mm-hmm. And that actually is relatively rare for the board of directors to have a, a standing tech committee. Well, that goes into the learning culture. You, you have a very engaged, inquisitive leadership organization. And yeah. I think that's critical. They want to listen. They want to learn. They know the importance so yeah, it's great. Um, as I said, our 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 head of security here, gentleman, he does his roadshow every year. And what's great, not only in the technology committee where we do it, we'll spend a decent amount of time outside, so you can have that one-on-one conversation, ask clarifying questions, mm-hmm. interact a little bit, and it's great for us because it's an awesome learning experience. Where either how we need to frame a message, or there's things that maybe we haven't thought of that you're getting a different perspective. Maybe mm-hmm. there's a risk or a regulatory concern or something that's going on somewhere else in the business. So I yeah. think that's really important, having that engagement where you're not only doing it on the formal side, you do it one off, but then you can have those informal conversations as well. And it's great. You even say it. You'll see emails come in from executives say, hey, is this an issue here? I just, I just read this. So you're getting that buy-in all the way around. 
I had uh, heard a wonderful idea some years ago at one of my um, CIO Perspectives events that we did, and I think we were in Houston or Atlanta, and one of the CIOs on a panel was describing how every time he saw a cybersecurity instant incident of some sort get in the mail, he would do kind of a news flash one pager that he would send to the CEO, the senior management committee, and the board. And it would basically lay out the, here's what happened, here's how we're protected against it, here's what we would do if it happened to us. And it was such a simple but effective communication device. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's a great idea. That's a real time, almost mini tabletop test to say. And yeah. I love it. We have a little saying here. We want to share. We don't want to scare, but you, you do need to do a little bit of both. Yeah. Now, we have a question from our audience. As a matter of fact, if you're just joining us now, uh, this is CIO Leadership Live, and I'm here talking to Steve Heindel, who is the EVP and CIO of Holman Enterprises, a big automotive services business based in New Jersey. And please uh, send in your questions. I have got Steve here with me for more than another half hour, and we will try to get to them. Now, this question that we have, it is a little bit broad. The question is basically, what are the technologies you're using? So I, that's a little hard to frame when you've got six operating companies, but do you have a, a bigger technology architecture platform? Well, that th this is it's a great question. It's a relevant one because we're actually covering this in our technology committee coming up in a couple of weeks. Oh, well, perfect. All right. <laughs> and uh, the, 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 I guess analogy we're making is if you've ever seen it, you can Google it out there. There's the stack. So if we look at our stack from the different layers, customer or user interface, application system and infrastructure. Okay. Uh, a nice rendition of a hamburger out there with the buns. So you kind of got the UI up top and you've got the, the infrastructure below and the stuff in between. Okay. So as part of that dialogue is to go through the different businesses. And as you can imagine a 96 year old company we're in just different, I would say, maturity levels and of these different systems. Yeah, yeah and, and some of these systems are very much aligned to a business. So for example, the auto truck group, it, it's, it's a niche bespoke industry where there's a platform that we all leverage in, in that industry. So that runs on a certain stack where what we're doing maybe in home and strategic ventures, we're leveraging more, I would say, contemporary technology. And then there's a little bit of everything else in between. So from a broad standpoint, we do what makes good business sense. Hmm. One of the things you'll find, at least I found in my career, you could have legacy. And by the way, I, I would argue after a couple of years, it's all legacy once it's in, in play. But when you get it working the way you want to, and especially if you can customize it and build it yourself, mm -hmm. if you have to buy something and then build around it, it can be very, very, very expensive. So it's that balancing act. It's it's how do you stay uh, relevant or, or up to speed on what's the latest or, or the newest versus leverage what you have. So yeah, there's some code that's decades old that just makes sense that runs their business. And there's other code that needs to be refreshed and changed more often. Mm -hmm. Usually the determining factor, I think we all have this challenge is, can you secure it? Can, 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 you, can you support it in such a way that you can make sure that you can manage your environment, secure your environment. So no, we're going through this exact dialogue with the technology committee. And the big part of that is just to, ex to explain to all of us is yeah. what does it take to manage and support it? Mm -hmm. And I always go back to, if there's business value, if we can drive the revenue out of it, I don't care if we have 20 stacks. 
It's, it's all about what business value you get out of it. Now, yeah. if there's a reason to rationalize and bring things together, then there's business value out of that too. But if you ask mostly any CIO, I would, I would venture to guess their number one goal is how do they grow the business? Exactly. The thinking strategically about the business. And one of the, uh, I remember a CIO some years ago making a point, I think we were talking about ERP systems and enterprise resource planning systems. And he said that whenever he's talking to his business colleagues or to the board, uh, you, you envision it like a big iceberg. And he said, everybody wants to talk about that snowy cute part on the top of it where the penguins are dancing around and everyone's having a good time but the part of the iceberg under the water is your legacy systems and when you think about the kind of changes companies have made in their digital transformation work over the last few years they have now fueled the way everyone most businesses have been able to pivot and deal with the pandemic it's those kind of changes. Uh, if you were to talk about digital transformation and how you have approached it at Holman, what would your what would your lecture be there to your students at St. Joe's? Yeah, this is another topic of conversation we have within our organization. Just to, to, to mm -hmm. simplify it, there's really to me it's three basic aspects. It's the channels. Mm -hmm. So how do you want to interact? And and mind you, there's things that we want to do digitally, but there's things that we want to do face-to-face -face and belly-to-belly -belly as well. So think about our automotive retail. Mm -hmm. There's so much you can put on the experience online, and there's different types of experience if you have that interaction face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. So as much as you might want to automate and and give that, that capability, there's mm -hmm. the other element that it's also great to have that face-to-face -face conversation just because you can't build every single aspect. I mean... Financial services has gone through this with fintech. And if you think about it, all the banks and thrifts that are out there, there's been tons and tons and tons of money. And it makes sense where you have, I would say, a more structured transaction. Mm -hmm. If you're buying a car or buying a house or whatever it might be, it can be structured, but there's also, well, how does this feature really work? Or let me sit in it and see how comfortable I am. And, and you need that human interaction or touching and feeling the object. So when we say digital, we're still dealing with a very physical kinetic object. So it's not completely a, a digital, but from a channel standpoint, we can do that. So I would say you look at the channels up top and then the big part for me is the routing because underneath it is the fulfillment where you can digitize, but mm -hmm. they're very expensive. It's very difficult to sit there and say, I've got all this intellectual property or knowledge or know-how wrapped up in the system and it's very difficult, if not impossible, to make a business case to say, I'm going to replace that. Yeah. What's more reasonable is how do I route information between our, our fulfillment systems, other fulfillment systems, and then what are the channels? How do we interact? And that's something we talk about quite, quite a bit, going from machine-to-machine -machine communication on one, one part of the spectrum all the way over to human-to-human -human -human interaction, and then the stuff in between. And then you really have to go through and play it out and see what makes sense for your business and what you're trying to accomplish. Yes. And, and who you're mark. So what's what's interesting, Mary Fran, I mean, this was the experiment, especially in the automotive industry. Hey, this pandemic, god awful thing happened, but now everybody's testing real world. How much is going to go digital? And the reality is a lot of transactions still happen, at least, but up to a certain point. Right. It's getting everybody coming and they want to buy and see the vehicle. Mm-hmm. So, well, we talked about, um, because I expected you to tell me that you'd had a huge uptick in 
online demand on the car buying side, but you said it's still pretty much single digits. It's not. Yeah, it, 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 it didn't move the needle a ton. I mean, there's certainly an uptick, but hmm. I just don't know if we're there ready to yet. I mean, think about it. Think about retailing in general. What's the percentage of transactions are online versus on person? Right. It's still in the teens. I mean, you're, you're, you're in the 15% range at best. And that's for you to order a book like this to come to your house, right? A <laughs> uh, little, little bit different environment. When we're, we're dealing with just very big pieces of equipment that are expensive that people want to see, feel, and touch and understand. Yeah. Well, and I have another question from our alert audience out there. And you'll have to help me interpret this a little bit. How much impact did you have on the automotive delivery cycle? Or, and I think that that's, uh, you know, what kind of impact does technology have? It may also be partly referring to the impact from the pandemic on the delivery cycle. So. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. In the automotive industry, think about it when the pandemic came. Mm -hmm. You look at the workflow from building a vehicle to delivering a vehicle and all the specking that goes in front. And there's a lot of moving parts. And if something is gone awry, that impacts the whole cycle. So. The auto truck group, for example, that builds these vehicles, one of the determinants was we need to get the equipment from the manufacturers, the chassis, and we need to get the parts. So what, what we've seen is March, April, May, certainly a slowdown and then a ton of pent up demand and through the roof. We, we even saw that within the retail side of the business. Mm -hmm. And some of it was due to lockdowns, obviously, for all, all the concerns people had, too. They were just people are rightfully so, afraid to, to maybe go out and, and do those types of transactions, whether it was economic, whether it was health reasons, whatever it might be. And I think there's been um, maybe a, a, just a different level of feeling, but we've seen that gone from a dip to there's definitely pent up demand. And yes, it's making sure in that whole entire life cycle uh, of, of from the specking to delivery that you can service it. So from our vantage point, it might be working overtimes, additional shifts, making sure we can find the right amount of support, the equipment, um, all those types of things. But that's yeah. what's that's the good thing of being in this industry for such a long time. We have a lot of great relationships and smart people that forecasted some of these challenges and they were able to, 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 to meet the demands of our customers. Yeah, what well, also speaks to a value that we often don't see uh, in the in the CIO profession, but the value of longevity with a company. You know, for a number of years, it, it was not unexpected for CIOs to work two to three years someplace and then move on. And the longer you stay, the more the more deeply involved you are in the business strategy. And I, you know, I have a lot of really fascinating conversations with CIOs who have are very deeply embedded in their industries because they have been there for a while. Yeah, it's it's funny you mention that because I'm holding up this is Corn Ferry and it's talking about analysis of a thousand largest U.S. companies by revenue, and then it has average age. CEO, CFO, CIO, CMO, uh, Chief Human Re Resource Officer. So the C-suite average age is 56. That's right. just based upon the study. And the typical tenure in these suites is somewhere around five years. If you look at the tenure in our organization, I'm the rookie. I mean, that, that's what's great. Years in, you're the rookie. I'm the rookie. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some very seasoned veterans who know this industry inside and out. They've dedicated their life to it. 
20, 25, 30 years of experience. But what's great is they're not, they're just not sitting on their laurels. They're constantly trying to right. um, challenge themselves and ourselves within the industry. And I'm a firm believer. In, I think that's a challenge that every company has. Think about it. Mm -hmm. If you're just constantly shifting, the, how, how long does it take to really get to understand an industry, right? Oh. I mean, that could be several years. And then the technologies that are in that industry and then how to apply them and who the customers are. So it's, it's a big part of Holman's philosophy that, longevity is one of their secrets to success and culture plays a huge part in that. Well, I think it may also, the fact that it's a family owned and it's a privately owned business. I, uh, if I were to categorize a lot of the CIOs that I've talked to who are the happiest and the most engaged in their businesses, a lot of times they are, uh, they have landed in privately held or family owned companies where they can really get kind of a, a mind, uh, we'd call it on Star Trek, a mind meld with the CEO. Um, it just, uh, a few conversations I've had with CIOs who were amazed at how much more quickly they could get stuff done rather than having to go through a lot of layers of, especially in public companies, that focus on the quarterly financials and the focus on all of the committees you have to get through, there's a bit of an astonishment when you can walk into the CEO's office and, and you lay out your plan. He says, all right, go do it. I just, you know. Oh, it's... yeah. Well, I, I, our CEO, it's just a text, email, Zoom yeah. session away. Um, we're playing golf, actually, this Thursday. <laughs> Good. It's, well, it's his birthday, so we're, 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 we're so, and a couple other gentlemen are playing golf. But no, yeah. that, that's the culture of the organization. It's just very strong, tight-knit, and mm -hmm. relationships matter. Yes. And they're so important. And that's the other thing. It's I think it's difficult to develop relationships if people are just revolving in and out. Yeah. Well, and I think it's especially true as you get up to the, the senior levels. Let us switch back to a question from one of our audience members. Can you discuss your organizational structure, particularly around, and this is a favorite topic of yours, analytics? Is it centralized or decentralized? Do you emphasize self-service, that sort of thing? And I know that the BI and analytics is a real, a real favorite uh, area for you. So let's talk about that. That's a great question. It's something we cover in week, week two of our eight-week class, just on how different companies organize. And I guess my comment there, I don't think there's any right way or wrong way. Mm -hmm. One of the most important things is is having good people and and um, knowing what you really want to do with it. So how we're organized mm -hmm. within IT, we have what we're calling an information management discipline. And that discipline has a lot of the basics there. It's where all the data lives, so our database platforms, how we move data from point A to point B, how we um, assemble it and, and put it in a semantic layer, a layer that's understandable for our business units. And then at that point, it's within each business, you have business professionals that really understand it. So a financial planning and analysis group or a group around marketing, marketing attribution, which is to me the holy grail of, of analytics, where we spend a lot of time and energy is around fleet analytics. So it's dealing with all those customers. And one of the questions I think Mary, or Mary Fran was asking me about um, what was one of the, I won't say challenges, but what are some of the demands you're having to your customers? Data, 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 analytics, analytics, analytics. Wow. They want to know and model out or at least project what would this scenario bring or what would that scenario bring? And that, this is where it's really important that this lives within the business, but it's very much interacted 
or, or interface within technology. So from that point, I would say it's centralized, but in the business, it's federated from the standpoint that each business has their members and expertise, and we have good connectivity between the two. Okay. Uh, I, we cover this in my class all the time. Do, do you want one version of the truth? That'd be great, but I don't think it's practical to have one. You're going to have multiple versions of the truth, and you need it to uh, need to move at the speed of the business. Yeah. So that's that's always the give and take that you're going to have there. Mm -hmm. so yes, we're, we're decentralized in, as it relates to serving up the business. Well, and it's great that you brought up customers because our next question is about customers. What kind of investment or are there investments you'd like to talk about that you're making to improve the customer engagement or that experience? And again, you've got six operating companies, so there may be six different big ones. But if you have one or two that you yeah, want... Let, 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 I mean, the one I really want to highlight is around um, our fleet management, what we call mobility as well. But that is where we have, and this predated me, and this is a really good idea that we've kept in place. And it's our customer information uh, services team. And, and what they do, it's a combination. So you've got strong technology professionals and individuals that were in the business that came into CIS. So they've got the customer service skills, presentation skills, learn the technology, a nice blend. I'll call them, term I like to use is a biznologist. They understand the business, they understand the technology, and they can have that dialogue with our clients. Yeah. So they work with both our sales reps and as well as our account management. And they're out there and they can at least make real-time decisions on, you know what, that's a great idea. Or what we're, that's on a roadmap. So if you can wait six months, you'll get it. Or you know what, if that's something that you want now, maybe we can come up with a way to get it for you. Okay. So that's so important for us. And that drives innovation, that drives creativity, that drives really good engagement with our customers. That CIS organization, um, it's, it's been important in a mainstay within, within Holman for the last couple decades, actually. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's all, and you talked about how that started before you got there. You've been the CIO since 2015, but you've actually been with the company for 12 years. So you've had a variety of other roles before you. Yeah, prior, prior to being the CIO for Holman Enterprises, I was the CIO for Automotive Resources International, which is the fleet management aspect. Yep. All right. Yes. Well, and since we've started down the innovation discussion road here, I know that that's a big part of Holman Enterprises for you. Let's talk about the strategic ventures. Um, that is, I've run into a couple of co companies that are starting to do that, where they establish a way to look around at, in, in the financial industry. It might be fintech. Um, maybe in your industry, it's auto tech. But uh, tell tech, auto tech. Yeah, that sounds good. Tech, you know, car talk is car tech. Uh, tell us about Holman Strategic Ventures. Um, what part of the organization it is, how it works, uh, maybe something about what you're investing in. Yeah, I, it's an adjacency to our organization. So these are, are individuals that have a ton of experience um, in, in pretty much every facet that we just talked about, but heavily in the retail side of the business and the fleet management. So the, the goal of that team was, or is to, to see what we potentially could build outside, but also conversely, as we're building things outside, how to bring either competencies or disciplines in. It could be a specific technology that we bring back, a portion of a service, or even a whole product. Hmm. So that takes commitment. That's something is not for the faint of heart. You do a lot of pivoting 
in those types of engagements where you have idea today and then tomorrow it's a completely different move. I like to, I mean, you look at Slack. What was, when Slack first started, they were a gaming company and part of their, their goal was to, to be in the gaming space. Well, in order for all the developers to work together, they said, there's not a great collaboration tool that we like. We're developers, we build our own, hence they pivoted. And now Slack is pivoted. Same thing here. There's lots of ideas that we think or we see. You go down maybe one, one path and it leads you on another path. So it's, it's having a team that's allowed to explore, do the trial and error. Um, mm -hmm. In it, it's, some of these things take time. I would say we didn't formally have this team 10 years ago, but the individuals that are on this team and one who I'll give him a shout out, his name's Tony Candeloro. He was, uh, I would say, an evangelist for telematics and connected car. And since we're on innovation and things like that, I'll oh. book here. Steve right. Johnson's 10 years old, but one of the one of the chapters talks about the slow hunch and innovation doesn't necessarily happen quickly over time. I mean, you might be able to do a little modification, but this thing is was a slow hunch that has taken time to develop. And, and it's a big part of what we do. It's 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 part of that adjacent possible where you can build on a connected car, connected vehicle to have other products and services around it. So their job is to explore. Their job is to see what else is going on out there in, in, right. in the industry. Their job is to partner as well. We did a partnership with uh, Cox Automotive and Lyft, where we took the collective experience and ingenuity to these three companies to build a uh, product and, and service that we, we took out to the marketplace. So it's it gets into that. And I'll say this is where we're, we're it's not just a marketing term. We talk about being a learning culture. This is a big part of being a learning culture within the organization that trial and error, that slow hunch, that um, willing to, to just push the status quo. Yeah, well, and to keep the open mind and to keep asking questions and to fail fast and then move forward. Now that book that you just flashed up on the screen there, and uh, we're just, yeah, I Stephen Johnson's Where Good Ideas Come From. I know that, and this is kind of the, the professor side of Steve that I want to talk with next. You well, this is the student side right now. This is from our doctorate program. So well, but you're also because you're an adjunct professor and you teach students and you mentor. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the GPS and telematics because telematics is actually a subject you are deeply into as you're working on a doctoral degree in it. So talk a little bit about that and then share a few more of those books that are kind of the, they're the foundation of uh, some of the ways you think about this. Yeah, we'll get back to the network centric transportation degree, which is just another acronym. And I think we overdo the acronyms in our, uh, it, it'll sound more impressive in a, in a dissertation, but it's, it's really moving from human-based internal combustion machines to automated electric machines. Right. And a big part of that is the, the connectivity. So think about it today, what we've done over the last 20 years with computers and with, with smartphones. Now we're embarking as, as an industry and as a world on trying to bring all that technology to a vehicle. And there's tons of, I mean, think about it right now, a car is a computer on wheels. If you look at an autonomous vehicle, it has over, a, you get up to a level five, which is fully autonomous. You're talking a billion lines of code. That's a lot of code. I mean, that's Carl Sagan. You're, 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 you're in the billion territory there. <laughs> so 
from from just a connected standpoint, we have to figure out how it works, but not only how it works, how it potentially might not work, and then what opportunities are in there. So what there's there's payment systems. Think about it from a telematic standpoint. You might be able to, and there's companies that are doing it today or certainly dabbling in it, is tie your credit card right to the telematics device. So it's no more swipe. You drive by, you might have your whole payment system done or, or payments done in, in, in that way. Well, think about that. That could be really convenient. That could be challenging as well. There could be security implications. So it's it's what can you do with this connected capability? There's uh, There's companies out there that are trying to monetize the license plate. So let's have a digital license plate and think about it. Maybe now if you're dealing with things like blockchain or your registration, how would that reinvent the industry? Imagine what could happen to the DMVs and, and, and uh, that whole side of the business. Marketing, think about it. You could have a digital license plate and now maybe when it's sitting there, you can sublet out that out to market a product or service. So the connected car has all sorts of potential opportunities from efficiency to serving society um, to maybe there'll be challenges along the way because now we've connected them. Imagine yep. we have ransomware and connected cars and your fleet gets bricked. Uh, that wouldn't be a good thing. So all these things have to be considered and weighed. And that's a big part of why I picked this topic because one of strong interest tremendous amount of value for our organization. There's just so many experts in there that I can work with and, and bounce ideas off of. So I, I think this is, uh, it just makes sense as, as something to Now, are you far with it where you have a thesis that, uh, you know, a, a basic statement? Because I know that every PhD thesis has to have that elevator pitch. Here yeah, that's the, that's the heart. That's the hardest thing. So yeah, right now I'm, I'm more in the investigative mode okay. and it's narrowing down because it's a very broad topic and to prove it or disprove it one way or the other, it's getting it down to a narrow focus. That is the, that is the fun part. And there's lots of famous writers who have basically had various quotes about how much, how much easier it is to say something in 3000 words than in 30. <laughs> yeah. Mark Twain, I think has a favorite quote. He is, if I knew I was going to write a, a short letter, I would have spent more time or something. Yeah. Exactly. Something like that paraphrasing. Yes. Now I wanted to uh, circle back just one more time to the C-suite business analytics that you're, that you teach at St. Joe's. Have they, have you seen that, um, is that changing a great deal at the C-suite level? Uh, the, the, in, not just the interest in business analytics, but the sort of, um, the, the, the sort of demands that come onto the IT organization for what's needed. I remember this conversation some years ago where IT leaders were generating all kinds of metrics that nobody on the business side really cared about. You know, the one thing they did care about is if they had downtime on their systems, that sort of thing. So it's, I know it's very important to measure the things that your business colleagues care about most. Is that, has that changed a lot? How do you talk about that? Um, I try to make it as simple as possible. So typically at the point where we're my class gets taken is towards the end of the program mm -hmm. and the students, and when I say students, these are colleagues because these are all different individuals, professionals, but they've learned different tools and they have the toolbox. Now, how do you apply those tools into yeah. what part and, and where do you reach in the toolbox? And, and it's, it's more around application and culture. 
Mm-hmm. So it's one thing having the tools. Can your culture absorb it? Are, are they ready for it? And then where are you applying it? Is this a revenue generate? And this is where it gets really hard. Just like you're asking me, well, what's your, uh, what's your thesis going to be on? Same thing. All right. You've got this nebulous term business analytics. Mm-hmm. How are you using it? How are you explaining it? What's the business value? How does it move the needle? And that's a challenge I think a lot of us in the technology industry have. We have so many buzzwords. What does it really mean? How is it simplified? And a big part of the class is simplifying it. So it's taking these use cases and say, if I do these five things, how is it really going to help potentially generate revenue? Or how is it going to identify a business opportunity? Or how does it truly show that what we've done in the last six months is is providing value? I I, I throw out there marketing attribution. That's the holy grail because that that's a difficult thing. Go, go to any marketing professional and ask them or CEO. All right, what business value have you got out of your marketing campaign? Well, now start working your way back into it, and yeah. just the value of business. Think about it. On any balance sheet, where do you see data? Does data show up as an asset, as a liability? I mean, the closest thing you might see is in an intangible asset or intellectual property, but you you don't. See, but there's so much time and energy that's spent around it. And I think if that was classified and in a way that everybody got, I think you would get a better, I guess, mm. understanding or energy around it. But but it's very nebulous, and I don't know if everyone derives the value that they're. What I would I would I, I wouldn't point out to anyone um, technology vendor, but ask them to truly make a business case on something like an ERP or the business business analytics platform, and and have them give very concrete examples. Yeah, it's tough to do. It's tough to do. I mean, especially when you're really your biggest focus is on actually moving the product. You know, it's almost like you're asking them to get into a very theoretical realm where they're not going to have those hard business metrics that they can actually give you. I mean, where we we use it primarily is in that fleet management space where Mm -hmm. you can have those conversations. And and the, the, the basics is you have enough information where you can describe a problem. Yeah. You now, now can you diagnose it? And that's what you have between the customer and ourselves. Let's diagnose what it is. And then based upon it, well, let's forecast or project or predict a couple of different alternatives. Yeah. And then we can come up with prescriptions on how to address those. Then the ultimate goal is, and this is where the C-suite business analytics comes into, you can get to all that point, but then how do you persuade the decision makers? And yeah. some of that is art. Some yeah. of that is, is culture. Some of that is relationship and tying all these things together. Well, I really like it. And I'm sure you've heard this too over the years. The, uh, you know, the CIO title has had lots of words applied to the I part. And when they're talking about it, my favorite one has always been chief influence officer because that, that ability to straddle the business strategy and the practical aspects of running the technology organization, you know, the more there's a foot in both camps, kind of the better balanced. And I, it strikes me too that CIOs even enjoy themselves more when they're able to do that. No, I, I, I agree, Mary Fran. I would add to that a little bit. I would say the technology, the business, the academic side, and then just the behavioral side of it and, and making sure you're straddling all those different aspects because that's part of our job and that's part of any, any executive leader's job. 
Yes. Well, and let's spend the last few minutes here talking about leadership because I've just, I always like to ask for uh, a few nuggets of brilliant advice to share with your either your colleagues or some of the people that you've mentored over the years about leadership. And you had a wonderful way you were approaching it. And it was about, um, now I'm trying to, sourcing for success or sourcing for distress. And I thought that was, uh, and you didn't even try to make up any new words with this one. So I want you to I want you to tell us about what those two approaches mean to you as a leader. Yeah, I think it's just being honest with yourself when you walk into a situation, knowing, take take inventory. Where are you good? And maybe where, where do you have some blind spots? Okay. We, we have, there's a gentleman in our organization, his name is Bob Hamilton, and he has a role it's captain communicator. And his job is to engage constantly within our organization. So he's way better at it than I am. I can't, can't hold a candle to him. He's just, he's just tremendous. Uh, during the pandemic so far, he's done 170 one-on-ones with the various professionals within our organization. He does uh, a weekly, I would say, communication meeting with all of our organization. We've had guest speakers in and out. So I, I'm just using this as an illustrative, but mm-hmm. if communication is your strong point, great, then utilize it. If it's an area that's a blind spot, which it is with me, Bob's fantastic. Let, let each person really shine. And that's the sourcing for success. Just go around, take inventory and, and maximize people's strengths and, and let them go and let them shine. He, he's <laughs> done an amazing job. And there's other examples that within the organization, but just be humble, nowhere, uh, nowhere you're, you got some some challenges or blind spots and let other people fill in those gaps and do a good job for you. Well, I don't know. From where I'm sitting, I don't think you have a huge blind spot around being a communicator. I think you actually explain yourself very well. Um, now, so I mentioned the sourcing for success and the for distress. What is the distress? Yeah, part? I think distress is, and that's once again, projects get started and many times uh, aspirational, hopeful, but really go through it, play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. Similar to the example you gave earlier about, hey, well, the CIO saw this issue and sent it out to other folks and use this as a learning opportunity. Yeah. Really walk through it. I'm not saying throw a wet blanket on anything, but <laughs> on the flip side, be honest. What what do we need? What what have we done in other areas? Get get counter arguments, mm-hmm. uh, get different perspectives really collectively look at it if you're gonna walk into a big initiative. And I'm talking some larger projects, but same thing. Stretch assignments are great. Know when it's a time to apply the stretch assignment versus, all right, we can't have three people on stretch assignments for this initiative. As much as we'd love to, we truly need to overclub it a little bit in each area and have that dialogue across the board. And this is where I like that look back and look ahead. You're keeping each other honest in a nice way. The accountability and the measurements. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. It's just a matter of being in the discipline and having the dialogue and communicate up front. Yeah. Well, and as my just final question, I wanted you to quickly show some of those books that are right there in your stack. I love that you showed up for our interview today with a couple of props, things that you can show. So tell us, uh, these are books that have had an impact on you as a leader. And that you- yeah, I think it's a good book. So one of them, Applied Artificial Intelligence, uh, talks about the machine intelligence continuum. Yes. And just very simple examples of artificial intelligence. Once again, I think we overhype terms and words. And 
we just need to explain things in a simple way. What I love here is from Peter, Peter Thiel, zero to one. Okay. And what I like about this, and I use this all the time in everything that I do, but he asked seven questions that a startup should ask and answer. And I would say in any initiative, and this gets more into the sourcing success. That's great. Do you have the secret question? Would you, what I would say, do you have the, the potential solution? Mm -hmm. You have the engineering question answer, meaning can you actually do it? The people question is so important. This gets into the sourcing for success. Do you have the, mm -hmm. the right amount of people? Is it the right time to do it? So is the timing there? He asked the monopoly question. I would just say that's more, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you trying mm -hmm. to generate revenue, efficiency, whatever it might be? And then the durability and the distribution. Can this stand the test of time? And can you actually move it out within your industry? So I think it's a good book. And then the last one I'll, I'll pitch here is Infonomics. And mm -hmm. it's how to monetize data. Really great examples in here. A lot on Internet of Things, how to leverage inter Internet of Things. And it's just it's a good way to take a step back and, and see what you're doing with your data. The question we had earlier on um, centralized versus decentralized, building an organization around data, it's covered in this book as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. I think that maybe in future Leadership Lives, I may require everyone to show up with a couple of good books that they can recommend. I think it's a, I think people that are in a constant learning mode and are always trying to improve as leaders often are also readers. So thank you so much. And it's been a great conversation today, Steve. I've really appreciated having you on. It was nice speaking with you, Mary Fran, and thanks everybody else out there. Have a great day. Absolutely. Now, if you joined us for our show late, you can watch the full episode later today on both CIO.com or on our YouTube channel. And please take a moment to subscribe to the YouTube channel that IDG runs. It's called IDG Tech Talk. You can also catch uh, my conversation with Steve and with the previous several dozen CIOs I've interviewed over the last few years. We're also audio podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did with CIO Steve Pindle of Holman Enterprises, and that you'll join me in two weeks for our next episode of CIO Leadership Live, which will be on November 18th, when I'll be talking again at 12 noon Eastern, and I'll be joined by CIO Nicole Raimundo of the city of Cary, North Carolina. Thanks so much for tuning in today, and thanks again to my colleagues at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council for their sponsorship of the, this wonderful program, CIO Leadership Live. Stay safe and well out there, and we'll see you here next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.